listening to Earth Matters, produced in the studios of 3CR in Melbourne on the Kulin Nation and broadcast on the Community Radio Network. We're bringing you environmental and social justice stories. I'm Corey Green. This week we're going to look at the federal budget. We'll be talking to Queensland Green Senator Larissa Waters, Nick Heath, self-professed neoliberal from the World Wildlife Fund, and Tessa Yakshevich from Landcare. We have here Green Senator Larissa Waters. Welcome. So we're here to talk about um, what ramifications the budget has for the environment. Can you please give me your overall impression? Well, blink and you'll miss it is my overall impression. The um, the budget that the government just gave down on, on Tuesday night basically ignores the environment. It certainly ignores climate change. There's not a mention at all about climate. And there is a few frankly, very measly dollars given out for the Great Barrier Reef, but they've pinched those dollars from other environment programs. The budget doesn't do anything to tackle biodiversity loss, um, habitat destruction, forest protection, oceans, world heritage management. Um, It's pretty light on, really, as a short version. Um, There's going to be $1.6 million given over two years to the Climate Change Authority. You mentioned climate change. What do they do? Well, they're actually a very important body. They were set up as part of the carbon price clean energy package under the previous government that the Greens were really pleased to um, help bring through the parliament. And they are basically an independent scientific advisory body that is charged with advising the government on what our greenhouse gas reduction targets should be. So they form an important role to try to depoliticise the uh, process of setting our pollution reduction targets. Um, so one doesn't envy them in that regard because the whole thing is incredibly politicised in, here in Canberra and science tends to be utterly ignored, more's the pity. Uh, but they're a really crucial body that the uh, government has been trying to get rid of through the Senate ever since they formed government and we've managed to keep enough people in the Senate that agree that they're an important body to keep them standing. So I'm pleased that they'll continue to exist. They suggested a few weeks back that Australia actually rapidly increase our greenhouse gas reduction targets and really lift our ambition in terms of transitioning to a a clean economy and a low-carbon future. So they're playing an important role in the climate um, sphere But the government to date has uh, not taken the Climate Change Authority's advice and um, I'm anticipating that they'll once again try to abolish that body uh, as they've they've tried before in the Senate. And what do you think of the $100 um, extra funding that you mentioned for the reef? Look, we welcome any extra money for the Great Barrier Reef and being from Queensland, um, you know, we know and love our reef and it's such, uh, not just a beautiful biodiversity icon, but it's such a tourist attraction and it's a real, uh, it's the crux of our economy in Queensland, one of the key parts anyway. So it's important that we tackle water quality, but $100 is nowhere near what the various expert um, resource management groups have been asking for. They reckon it's more like $800 million that you'd need to really fix up all of that runoff that's going into the reef catchment um, and, of course, being made worse by all of the dredging that the government's ticked off on to make our coal ports deeper and bigger and worsen climate change by exporting even more coal. So, yes, it's great that there's a few more dollars that have gone to the reef. It's not enough. And they've taken it out of the Green Army and the Landcare Program. Now, those programs are, you know, have their own 
pros and cons, but they don't deserve to be cut to fund another environment initiative. We need proper funding for the reef and we need proper fulsome funding for all aspects of our environment programs, particularly the ones that work. Um, and unfortunately, the budget still didn't undo the staff cuts that the last budget brought down on the Environment Department. They've lost like a quarter of their staff on the books over the next few years. And how can you expect them when all of the environment indicators are heading in the wrong direction, our biodiversity is getting worse, our soil quality is worsening, climate change is intensifying, we're in deep drought and you know, an El Nino is upon us. How can we expect our departments to, to do the work necessary to turn that around when there's like a quarter less of them? It, it, it sadly gives an indication that this Abbott government just doesn't understand the environment and doesn't really care about protecting it. When I was talking to the um, World Wildlife Fund about the reef funding, mm -hmm. um, they said that um, Anastasia Palachuk has um, announced that she's going to uh, not dredge the reef anymore. Uh, well, certainly the announcement has been from the new Palaszczuk uh, State Queensland Labor government that capital dredging uh, for um, uh, you know for, for big new ports and the like won't be allowed to be carried out anymore. So that's really good. That's a, that's a really good start because at the moment you've got um, quite a lot of proposals that are on the books. We're not too sure if, they, if these new rules are going to stop the ones that are already on the books. But the other concern is that they've forgotten about maintenance dredging. That's the dredging that you've got to keep on doing once you make the port deeper the first time, the capital dredge, you then got to go back and keep um, re-dredging it. There's quite a lot of dredge spoil that happens still with that maintenance dredging. That is still going to be allowed to be dumped offshore in the waters of the Great Barrier Reef World Heritage Area. So we haven't fixed that problem, but certainly the really strong voice of the community uh, and the scientists and the International World Heritage Committee and the environment groups that strong pressure has really seen some good outcomes so far delivered. Um, we've got to just make sure that the governments don't think, oh, the reef's dealt with now, when in fact there's a whole long list of things that still need to be properly addressed if we want to keep the reef healthy and keep it employing the 60-odd thousand people that it currently supports. Mm. Uh, what environmental funding would you have liked to see in the budget? Well, you're asking someone who loves the environment. I would have loved to have seen, you know, billions and billions if we possibly could. Uh, sadly, that's not that's not what we got. And, you know, it tends to be um, almost irrespective of which party is in government that the environment doesn't get the funding that it deserves. We've announced at the Greens um, quite a number of revenue-raising measures because we understand you can't just pluck money out of thin air. You do need to raise money to pay for your promises. But what the government is doing is focusing on cuts um, instead of actually raising money so that we have the dollars there to pay for the things we want, like health, like education, and of course, like good environmental protection. So we've got a whole suite of measures, and that includes things like taking away the billions of dollars that the fossil fuel companies get in effectively, well, subsidies. They get special tax rules, um, they get cheaper petrol. They've basically got, um, you know, $10 billion over the Fords of free money and that's just not on when we need to be transitioning away from pollution. So um, I'd love to see some, um, 
some serious dollars getting invested into protecting our environment, protecting our reef, seriously tackling climate change, bringing back those great regulatory measures that we had um, and, and continuing to fund the transition to clean energy production, whereas the government at the moment is attacking the renewable energy target and sadly with the Labor opposition they're going to water it down and they're trying to um, and cut it by a third and... Um, you know, they've already taken money out of the of the various renewable energy agencies. So the funding's heading in the wrong direction. We need to turn it around, and we Greens have proposed ways to raise money so that we could do that, but those ideas have not been persuasive so far to the other government. Um, when it comes to tackling the climate change it doesn't believe in, um, the Abbott government has the Emissions Reduction Fund. Mm. What do you think about the measures in the... Re- in the Emissions Reductions Fund? Well, to be honest, we think the Emissions Reduction Fund is a bit of a joke. It's it's like a slush fund. Um, polluters aren't bound by it. It's a entirely voluntary thing. And they can put their hand out to say, yep, I'd like some free money, please, to reduce my emissions. They're not obligated to. There's no um, amount that they have to meet. And um, we're seeing that there's been some pretty lukewarm interest even in asking for that money. So we're not convinced that it's actually going to be successful. And even if it was successful, and hey, I'd I'd love if it was, it's really only nested in the government's commitment of a 5% greenhouse gas reduction target. And 5% is woeful. That is not going to fix the climate by any stretch. We need to be getting up closer to 2025, you know, 50%. We need to get to carbon neutral ultimately. And a 5% target is is basically an insult. Hmm. That's 5% um, below the year 2000 levels, hey? Yeah, that's right. They're using a different base year than than the rest of the world. So it's actually even worse when you use a proper Kyoto base year. And so, you know, we've just become more and more of an an international pariah under this current government who've cut what was considered to be world-leading clean energy laws with our carbon price and with those other complementary measures like a biodiversity fund that was effectively a billion-dollar um, grants program that helped landholders do rehabilitation and other um, carbon sequestration work that also had biodiversity benefits. Uh, and, you know, we, we had this great package that was working so well to bring down emissions and that the rest of the world was praising. And with that slashed and the mining tax slashed and these huge billions in subsidies going to the fossil fuel companies and now this slush fund of of the free money under the Emissions Reduction Fund, we're just an international joke. And we're getting more and more pressure from the other countries in the lead-up to that Paris um, Framework Convention on Climate Change meeting, which is due by the end of the year, And there's more and more international scrutiny and it just does not seem to be having any effect on the Abbott government's will to take this issue seriously and to, you know, meet this great challenge of our time. It's not just an environmental and a social challenge, but it's an economic challenge as well. Uh, Thanks very much for appearing on the show. It's my pleasure, Corey. Good to talk to you. I'm Corey Green and you're listening to Earth Matters, bringing you environmental and social justice stories. That was Green Senator Larissa Waters. Next up, we have Nick Heath from the World Wildlife Fund to talk about government policy and spending on the Great Barrier Reef. Welcome to Earth Matters. Thanks for talking to us today. Yeah, no worries. Thanks for having me. Would you mind introducing yourself? My name's Nick Heath. 
I uh, have worked on the Great Barrier Reef uh, for the last 15 years, and I currently work for the World Wildlife Fund. And in last night's um, budget, the government announced $100 million over four years for the Reef Trust, bringing the total Reef Trust up to $140 million. What will they be spending this money on? Uh, it was pre-announced money. Mm-hmm. It wasn't new money. Uh, and uh, they're going to spend it in a way that is to be decided by uh, Ian Chubb, the chief scientist, and a number of other scientists over coming uh, months for actions that will reduce pollution of the Great Barrier Reef. And um, where does the dredging fit into this plan? Dredging uh, adds to pollution, uh, and so does dumping of the dredge spoil. Mm-hmm. But the Queensland State Government has announced uh, that it will legally ban dumping uh, in the World Heritage Area uh, this year. So that is fantastic news. Uh, The federal government will ban it in a smaller area, uh, but the state government will ban it in the full World Heritage Area of the reef. And so uh, the good news is that uh, threat to the reef uh, will now uh, recede somewhat, and uh, we're now a bit more focused on the pollution coming from farms. Uh, Farm pollution threatens about a 1,000 reefs, and of those reefs, they've lost between 50 and 70% of their coral cover, largely due to chemical fertilisers, which cause algal blooms, and those algal blooms feed an animal called the crown-of-thorn starfish. Uh, When they're babies, they eat algae, but when they're adults, they eat their body size in coral every day. Hmm. And there's a plague of uh, starfish munching up the reef as we speak. So do you think that the government will take um, real action to um, prevent this problem? They have been taking action at both state and federal levels, but not at the right scale. Uh, We've had some very small reductions in pollution, uh, but nowhere near enough. We need an 80% reduction in fertiliser pollution. uh, And the only way we're going to get that is with new money. Uh, from both federal and state governments. And so that is why, uh, even with the new money announced last night, we're very disappointed uh, in the federal government's investment in the reef. It's $100 million over five years, but the reef will earn $30 billion uh, in tourist revenue over the next five years and employ 69,000 people. Um, The independent experts had already assessed the reef needed at least $700 million over the next five years, uh, we had thought at least $500 million, uh, and so that what was offered last night was a fraction of what the reef needs. The budget has failed the reef. Uh, we think it's failed the economy as well and the jobs that the reef supports. It won't turn around the health of the reef. What about climate change? What effect will that have on the reef? Uh, the, the climate change has a number of uh, impacts and threats on the reef. Uh, the hotter the water, uh, the more likely uh, coral bleaches, but also the more water is polluted, uh, the more uh, coral bleaches. Uh, climate change also acidifies the ocean and acid uh, reduces the rate of coral growth because it's a calcium-based uh, organism. Acid uh, eats away at the reef. And lastly, and probably uh, most importantly at the moment, is the climate change increases climate variability, more storms, and the storms, um, you know, they hurt the reef as well. They crash into the coral. 
But the good news, I suppose, at the moment is um, the scientists have been able to, to measure coral growth, and the coral growth uh, is currently big enough to withstand uh, storms and even bleaching. But what it's not big enough to overcome is the triple whammy of storms, bleaching, and the crown of thorn starfish. So whilst we need long-term action on climate change, in the short term, we need action on pollution. It's totally within the capacity of the Australian government and the Queensland government to eliminate that pollution or bring it down substantially. Uh, and so we should unilaterally get on and do that. And unfortunately, we haven't got the scale of investment we need or the reef needs yet. The Queensland state government, the new one, has stepped up. Uh, we hope the federal government will step up uh, in the next month before the World Heritage Committee decides whether our management of the reef has been good enough. The World Heritage Committee is considering putting the reef on a list of shame, on a list called World Heritage in Danger. So uh, there's still time. Uh, we just hope uh, in the next month the, uh, the federal government comes up with more protections for the reef because we all want it protected. That was Nick Heath from the World Wildlife Fund. Next up, we have Tessa Yakshevich from Landcare talking about how her organisation was affected by Tuesday night's budget. Welcome to the show. Can you please tell us a little bit about Landcare? Yeah, sure. Um, Landcare is a community-based movement of people, so there's about 6,000 groups around Australia and also lots of schools that participate in doing activities ranging from farmers um, collaborating on doing work on their properties across adjoining properties to improve the land and the water or it can range from urban based groups doing bush care activities or school kids putting in school gardens so it's quite a diverse group of people. So this budget you're losing money and then gaining money? Uh, yes. Do you want to explain it? Yeah sure. Um, not, not really losing money out of committed programs to the National Land Care Program. Um, so there's already quite a lot of funds uh, committed al already over the coming years. There was about $12 million sitting in there that hadn't previously been allocated to a specific program, but that has been shifted across towards $100 million of additional funding to support the Barrier Reef. So... Um, it doesn't particularly impact us there, but it does, also, but it does enable um, some additional money to support reef activities, reef preservation activities. Um, the other part is the Green Army. So the Green Army is um, about young people participating in land care activities. Um, that program has had uh, its funding co confirmed in the out years, so... About four years from now, they've committed to doing an additional 1,500 Green Army projects in that year, um, but, they've also, but they've reduced the number of projects being done in the third year by 100 projects. So in the third year, instead of 1,100 projects being done, there will only be 1,000 projects. Um, and I'm those not really quite that concerned about that because I think in political terms, three or four years from now is a long time. <laughs> Fair enough. Are those programs um, already planned or are, would they be new? They'd be new. What happens is um, community groups or councils or local organisations can identify projects and ask for a Green Army team to come and help. Um, teams normally um, consist of 
um, you know, a team of 10 and they'll go and work on that project for maybe six months or so while also receiving a training allowance and also receiving some training. Um, typically they're only um, planned and arranged about three months out from when they're actually implemented. So, you know, uh, two, three years from now, it's really no one's actually planned those projects yet. So why do you think the government um, planned uh, to allocate the funds this way? Um, they're really, obviously, with the Green Army team, um, they're really keen to encourage young people um, to find, I guess, improve their training outcomes and improve their work experience and also um, help the environment. So that's an area they're trying to, to, to grow because it has two benefits from a government perspective. It has the environmental benefit and it also has hopefully um, improved employment outcomes for young people. So that's an area of definite focus for this current government. Um, in terms of the reef, uh, the reef has, um, there's lots of concerns about the reef, not ju just in Australia, but globally. There's a lot of pressure, I think, on this government to improve its reef programs. Uh, I would say the additional funds are welcome, um, but I would imagine it's a small amount compared to what's actually probably needed in the long long term to protect our, la uh, protect our Great Barrier Reef. I see that you've been appointed to help in the planting of 20 million more trees. Can you tell us about that? Yes, um, that is another um, government program that was an election commitment from the Department of Environment. Um, the government's um, recently selected three service providers, of which we are one. Uh, these national providers, what we do is we work with landholders to identify land um, this, that um, is suitable for um, revegetating with trees and also the um, accompanying understories for those trees to create a healthy and self-sustaining ecosystem. And what that means is that it's creating habitat for threatened and endangered species nationally across Australia. It could be, for example, um, a corridor link, linking uh, um, um, two areas of um, remnant bushland and that corridor becomes a, a kind of route where uh, native animals can move from one area to another. So we're really excited about this program. We think it's got a lot of benefits and a lot of value. Fantastic. Um, can you please tell um, the listeners the measures the government is taking to drought-proof farmers? Yeah, there's a number of things. I, I think there's um, they're doing most most of the work is in um, assisting um, farmers with drought recovery or, uh, and and response to drought. Um, what we uh, so for example, um, they're allowing um, there's about twenty five million dollars of programs um, in to manage pests and, and weeds in drought affected areas. So often when um, uh, an area gets impacted by drought, you get a lot of invasion from, from invasive, invasive weeds and so forth that wouldn't normally be able to live there when, when, the, when the pastures and stuff are lush. And it's also pr providing uh, programs for rural contractors to assist the landholders uh, to deal with the impact of these weeds. The other issue the farmers are dealing with um, are feral animals. Um, a lot of people in Australia that live in cities perhaps don't realise the impact of feral animals. 
they can range from things like cats and dogs and pigs uh, and they can often devastate um, farmers' livestock and kill off livestock. It's a big issue for our farming community. So there's some assistance there. They're also assisting farmers to um, quick, more quickly de de depreciate um, things that they've put on their land, like watering facilities for their for their crop, for their animals, and so forth. So that 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 assists the farmer in in writing off those um, investments more quickly. Um, but uh, I think we'd like to see more more money also put into assisting farmers actually prepare for drought and, and actually drought resilience building and, and, and so forth and education of farmers because it's been quite widely um, uh, publicised recently that we think that Australia is about to go into a large El Nino period and what that means is it's likely that Australia will receive a long period of, of hot summers and drought, drought periods impacting Australia so I think city folk kind of need to be aware that that's likely to have a large impact on, on people in the bush that produce our food. Do you think that Australia gets the balance between agriculture and natural resource protection right? Uh, I think there's definitely more more work to be done on, um, um, not so much on protection, but um, what we call sustainable agriculture. So that's kind of... Like the best farmers around um, who tend to have the, um, the, the best long-term and ongoing profitability of their, their businesses and their farms through different weather, you know, the ups and downs of our climate and weather as it's sort of dry periods or rainy, you know, wet periods or so forth. The ones that are, tend to be the most resilient are the ones that have good sustainable agricultural practices on their on their on their properties and, and many farmers do this really well um, and that means they do have a good balance between managing the soil managing the inputs they put on their property looking after the water um, in, including trees on their property fencing stock out of um, the areas where the, the native trees are growing and so forth um, and there, there are other farmers like all of us that perhaps don't do that so, so well and, and that's part of um, Landcare's role is to kind of share that knowledge and um, improve the ability of all our farmers in that capacity. And I think it's becoming, will be an increasingly important issue, not just in Australia but globally because as our populations boom or continue to grow and the pressure on supplying food becomes greater, I think the role of farmers in doing a good job needs to be more acknowledged um, by people in the cities and in urban areas and, and supporting farmers because the, the demands on them to continue to produce more food off the same amount of land and water are going to become more and more challenging. Um, what about shared resources like um, the Murray-Darling Basin? Yes, um, I think um, that continues to be a, a, an issue between kind of what's needed for irrigation and, and what's needed to look after the environment. Um, I think we have to think about what parts of Australia are, are most suited for what types of farming and what, what, sort of, what types of farming are sustainable based on the, um, the natural climate and the natural patterns of that area. So um, in, in, in areas where we are doing a lot of uh, intervention, it becomes difficult when the climatic change, when there's climatic differences or, or difficulties, it becomes quite difficult to sustain those. Um, well, thanks for appearing on the show. Is there anything else you'd like to say about the budget? 
No, I mean, I guess, um, you know, we'd all like more money for programs and I, I think it would be nice if, if um, the environment was top of the list, but I guess if uh, there's all, lots of social sectors and other community sectors that are also experiencing pressure. So I guess we all have to... Um, do our bit and we'll continue to focus on, on doing whatever we can with the funds available to to work on the land and the water and work with communities to do so. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Cheers now. You've been listening to Earth Matters on the Community Radio Network with Corey Green. That was Tessa Yakshevic from Landcare. If you'd like to know more about Landcare, go to landcareonline.com.au. Before that, we had Nick Heath from the World Wildlife Fund. To find out more about that organisation, go to www.wwf.org.au. At the top, we had Queensland Green Senator Larissa Waters. You can find out more about the Australian Greens at greens.org.au. If you missed some of today's show, don't forget that our podcast can be downloaded at 3cr.org.au slash earthmatters. Earth Matters would like to thank the Community Broadcasting Foundation for their generous financial support and the dedicated people at the Community Radio Network for all their hard work in getting this program out to you. Earth Matters was produced in the studios of 3CR Radio in Fitzroy, Victoria, on the Kulin Nation. Our contact phone is 03-9419-8377 and our email is earthmatters3cr at gmail.com. That's all for today, but we'll be back again next week. Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia, on the Kulin Nation. Radiothon is coming up, and Earth Matters will need your dollars to keep broadcasting. For more information and to find out how you can support 3CR, go to www.3cr.org.au.